And good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. And today we have special guest Tom Dean from Consulting Ventures back again to talk about mobile device security and related topics. And today we are going to talk about why the ship has sailed on BYOD. For those of you that don't know what BYOD is, it is called Bring Your Own Device. We think that paradigm is dead, and we will talk about why it's dead. Uh, real high level on that is we have the Cisco compromise. We have the Okta compromise. Um, there's been uh, all kinds of compromises on both sides, like personal stuff being on, on, on business devices, um, business activities on personal devices, and, uh, and then just the entire aspect of the key element on how organizations are able to manage the risk of loss of company data they have got to use really hardcore levels of control with full device MDM enrollment. And frankly, you can only get there with an with a company-owned device. So welcome. Thanks for coming back, Tom. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, so it, let, It's an interesting topic uh, <laughs> that you brought up because I've seen kind of the evolution from bring your own device to um, even before that it was well, many people got their first cell phone was the company phone. So it wasn't bring your own device. It was you now have a company phone and all of a sudden personal calls are coming in on that phone. So that was the start of it. And then it was uh, bring many smaller businesses wanted to have their employees bring their own device. It was a nice way to avoid some cost. Um, and from there, but then there became a conflict, you know, about what apps were going to be allowed. Right. So, yeah. And then you started to get into the company-owned, personally-enabled approach where you could have an app like Boxer was one example where you're going to segregate, you know, the personal apps from the company one. So, but it seems like, and then over time, I remember I saw the first, my first colleague that had, was carrying around two phones and I thought, wow, that's just, what a pain that would be. And then after a year or two, I started uh, realizing, wait a minute, I'm receiving banking, you know, second factor codes on my company phone. Um, and at that time, you didn't even get to keep the phone number necessarily. And that may still be the case in many situations. So I ran out and got my second phone. So we've seen the whole evolution. I think you said it, the ship has sailed on on bring your own device. There's, there's just so much... Uh, risk of cross-contamination and and there's been some recent examples of that i think it was the octa breach you mentioned where i think it was a an it admin's password ended up getting saved in his personal gmail um password yep. sync manager syncing and, yep. and it may not have been on a phone but in any case um i'm sure it was on his phone as well so that cross-contamination it seems like the idea of having Having um, anything but separate devices probably doesn't make any more sense. Is that what you're getting at? Uh, that is absolutely part of it. Yeah, it's. I don't think it makes any sense under any circumstance. And I think you could look at it from both sides. The the whole side of you don't want your personal bleeding over. And on the business side, businesses no longer have uh, an ability to mitigate the risk of allowing their company assets and systems to be accessed on a personal device. Uh, you know, we talked about this in the last few shows. We were talking about the, 
in order to really truly be able to effectively mitigate the risk of an Apple device um, getting override on its configuration, then to where you, you're making it so that that pin only uh, cannot be the only factor that is the, the metric to where that device can get basically hijacked and taken over. Um, it, you, you either have to have the Apple manager that you're running locally and then you like do uh, templates and you know, you're basically running your own little local MDM, which I'm going to be straight up with everybody here is way more technical than what the vast majority of humanity could handle. Uh, and Tom is one of those few people that can do that. And then the other realm in the business side is uh, Apple Business Manager. And, and that is literally so detailed. I mean, it's insanely hard to set up an Apple Business Manager account. I've done it a few times. It sucks, sucks really bad. Um, but that's okay because you're going through like that level of pain uh, because you need that level of kind of control and those firewalls in place to make it so that just because somebody gets pin access to a device, they they can't basically take the ownership of it. So you end up having to actually procure something in a particular way. And then it always, that device, as you procure it, it's like logged at the Apple um, manufacturer ecosystem level that it knows who you are. It's almost like um, stock shares. You know, when you're when you're buying stock shares, those stock shares get um, allocated to you, and there's uh, an upstream uh, system that is defining that those stock shares are are owned by you. And there's a whole lot of hoops that got to be gone through in order to be able to actually transfer those to somebody else. Um, so yeah, I was thinking about that, but I mean, I've literally seen a whole lot of issues associated with the allowance of access to things like personal email on a business computer. And I, I really, oh my gosh, I wish that every business that's out there would just completely disallow employees from accessing personal email on company time and on company computers. And it's like in the grand scheme of things, if you're on break, and you need to look at your personal email, use your personal cell phone for that. I think that if the company doesn't use Gmail, they should just outright block Gmail straight up. You know, if, they, if they're not using Yahoo for their business email, and I don't know who the hell would do that, um, but they should just block Yahoo straight up so that your employees can't get to those things. Because fundamentally, what they end up doing is they're like, oh, well, I like Chrome. I'm going to use Chrome as a browser. They log into Chrome. Um, using their personal email because they want to be able to look at their personal email while they're at work. Next thing you know, you got Google Password Manager and it's now cross-pollinating credentials, um, be personal credentials into the work environment and then back the other direction too. And it's a nightmare. In fact, that's actually how Cisco got breached in the last 12 months. Um, you know, so I, th I think it's both directions, like from the employer perspective, they can't actually have enough totalitarian control from a mobile device management perspective or from just a straight up device management perspective. They don't have enough control unless they own it. But then they also have to be really diligent about saying, you know, you can't even use, you can't access your personal stuff from our systems and you can't use personal systems to be accessing our business stuff. Uh, and as I bantied, this topic has been bantied about pretty heavily in the IT security community and consistently what we 
come to agreement on, I'm talking about IT security professionals, is that you pretty much have to just use jump boxes. So uh, in that environment where, let's say you've got uh, contractors who do work for you or something, you know, you're, you just basically have to have a scenario where your policy is, here's your username, here's your password, you uh, onboard them with a whole lot of MFA and conditional access, and they are explicitly told, and they have to sign as part of the employment agreement that um, they are only allowed, or you know, the vendor engagement agreement, whatever it happens to be, but they are only allowed to do work for your company on your company-owned systems, and you know, that, that's the end of it. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I like how you mentioned that it was a two-way, uh, a two-way street on that because, like I mentioned before, when an employee is receiving MFA codes to log into their bank account, and that phone number is tied to the company, it's a company-owned phone number. Yeah. What happens if that employee is terminated? Um, God forbid, you know, do they do they have access to their bank account anymore? So. You know, that's really and, and I think companies have maybe flexed a little in recent years about, well, maybe the employee does get to keep that phone number when they exit the company, but then they're receiving business calls on that number. So, yep, it's a very tough call. So that's another aspect of of, um, you know, why why to keep it separate in it. And it serves the employee's interest as well. There was a, a client who had a IT director um, depart. Um, actually, that that happened twice in the last uh, 24 months that I have direct personal experience of. And uh, in in both of those cases, there the employer was way too lenient on the IT director. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, an IT director role is a pretty high profile and potentially even a higher profile role than even the CFO of a company in terms of what they had access to. And the business, con the adverse business continuity impact of not having that cell phone was substantial. They allowed uh, these people to keep their, to keep the company cell phone, to not only keep the phone number, but to actually keep the darn cell phone itself. And so we didn't have MFA codes that we needed. We certainly couldn't do SMS validation, you know, I mean, all kinds of things. And it was, you know, it fundamentally ended up costing the company a lot more in IT consulting fees to unwind that problem. And I really wish that employers would understand that they need to stop making decisions based upon oh, well, we want to be uh, a fun and, you know, happy place to work. And we want to be, you know, really generous with uh, departing employees and whatever. And it's like, you know, do you like lighting money on fire? <laughs> well, you brought up a great point with the cost aspect, because many times if, if the configurations aren't managed, uh, that employee has, has changed the Apple ID on the phone or the, the Google the Google account on the phone. And now you cannot, because of activation lock, you know, which was implemented, I don't know, five or 10 years ago to stop, uh, to make these phones a little less of a theft target. Uh, the, the company now, even if they did not let the employee keep the phone, they now have what is essentially a paperweight the company has because that phone cannot be wiped and made new again and reused 
um, if, you know, if the employee has changed the, the ID, the, you know, the user ID on the account. So that's where the configuration management comes into play, you know, preventing the account from being changed. And, um, and there's, that's where you get into a large cost aspect and, and a data confidentiality aspect as well. So. So you, you brought up something interesting about this, the, the Apple devices specifically, you know, I always, and I, I think this, this is probably, it applies in other areas too, but I'll just pick on Apple for a moment because it, it's a lot, it's probably the easiest example to understand. The persistently, what I see across the board is CFOs or COOs or some operation manager or something like that. Uh, they, they just going to go do their own thing. They're going to go be their own hero. The company doesn't have a procurement policy that requires the CISO to sign off on a particular strategy. So I see this happen all the time where they're like, well, pff, I don't need IT for that. They take a run over to the Verizon store and they're like, you know, I've got these, you know, 100 phones with AT&T and, and give me a good deal. So they're looking at this exclusively from a financial perspective. They don't even have a, a written set of requirements that need to be met for risk management. And so then they go and they make this change and nobody at Verizon has a conversation with them. And, and I'm not picking on Verizon here. The same thing would happen with the transaction going back the other way, whether it was a Verizon, a whole bunch of Verizon phones going to AT&T, it would be the same problem. And so nobody at the telco has a, a conversation with the customer about like, gee, um, do you have your own Apple Business Manager account? Oh, you don't? Um, can we talk to your IT? Can you get that set up before you buy? They don't know. They don't want to put any of those roadblocks in front of that COO or the CFO or the operations manager who wants to go in there and just you know start spending a bunch of bucks. So what ends up happening is, let's say they get a bunch of iPads. Well, now it's going to be a three-month project at least to retrofit those iPads because then you got to actually go through the whole thing of the Apple business manager account creation. And then you have to get an MDM. Now you have to do ownership transfer and just, I mean, all these like project delays. And now IT looks like the bad guys because, you know, all this air quote red tape. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that slung, that, you know, platitude slung at me. And but yet they want those devices to be managed. You know, they want them to be secure. They want to be able to publish apps to them. They want to be able to make it so that the people using the iPads don't have the ability to turn off the GPS. You know, so it's like, you know, they need to have these conversations with people in advance. You know, and in the context of like mobile cell phones, um, they it's it's all about like this whole thing. I, I want to save money on the subscription, and they don't pay any attention whatsoever to the other costs, the soft costs that happen to the organization. So I've seen right. this over so, and over and over again, also where the, like, you know, you, you brought up this thing with the employees. What I found is that actually those phones, when you go to Verizon as a business and you buy phones from them and you don't have your own Apple business manager account, those phones are enrolled in Verizon's Apple business manager account. Because when, when you don't have access to that phone to do a reset on it, you just got to call Verizon and you have to go through the authentication process and all that. And of course, it can only be that one or two people who's authorized to do that. 
But those phones, right. they're enrolled in, in the Verizon Apple Business Manager. And that's how they get around it. Yes. And so in the example you gave, you've not only added a lot of wheel spinning and, and inefficiency, um, a lot of people's time taken that didn't need to be because IT and finance were not in, in lockstep with each other on that. But also you've added some risk because my understanding is if you backload um, Apple Business Manager onto an already purchased device, first of all, you have to wipe the device to bring it into a supervised mode. But then there's 30 days that elapse where the employee can then flop it over to their own personal Apple ID, which so you have to you would then have to say to the employee, do not change the Apple ID on this device and hope that in 30 days, you know, then it's locked on your your company's account. So it's you've brought in extra time, extra cost and, and extra risk there with that 30 day period. Well, there's so, oh my goodness. I mean, I think I could, I could make this, I could make this statement across the board blanket. When you buy wrong, the, whoever the organization is, um, they, they make their actual cost of the, whatever it is, it's astronomically more expensive. And, and so this is why it's so crucial to have that procurement policy and that the culture of the organization has got to be changed so that they stop like, well, it's red tape. I mean, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that accusation of red tape. Yet every CISO that I talk to, they tell me the number one thing that they know of that is a predictor of chaos or peacefulness in an organization is that procurement policy because problems are either getting prevented before they ever even happen uh, or um, there's just it is constantly doing remediation projects you know and then the remediation projects are expensive because you've got a company culture that says well i've got this functionality i've had this functionality for all this time now you're coming along and you're going to take away my functionality Yeah. Absolutely. And, and another interesting area with, with mobile phones is um, uh, backups. If you don't have um, effective backups, and how are, you, how are you doing that? So not only how are you backing up, are you just backing up to the cloud? Well, what happens if, if you, know, you lose that account or do you somehow have local backups? You know, there are ways to do that as well. Um, with with mobile phones to have an actual you know physical backup off even off site so that's something that a lot of businesses don't think about um, and then you get into what we discussed on on the prior prior uh, broadcast was are we going to do iCloud or are we going to do Google Drive or are we going to have different other providers that gives us a little more insulation or segmentation and then you finally get into the the big deep subject of how am i going to which we touched on a little bit how am i going to back up my mfa methods yeah um in terms of do i have google authenticator on the phone do i have authy on the phone or microsoft authenticator so there are ways that you can sync you know what are you going to sync to the cloud what are you going to have 
backed up in terms of multiple devices. So backups seem to be a pretty deep subject with um, with mobile phones. And then obviously it affects what you're doing on the, the PC side as well, right? Uh, I would, I'll even throw one, uh, like probably security 101 topic out there, which is inventory. When, right. uh, whenever I'm doing cyber insurance attestation or I'm doing some sort of compliance work, the thing that always seems to come up is some question that is like, do you have such and such in your environment? Well, you're fundamentally, you can't positively confirm that you have that, that state, that desired state, nor can you confirm that the bad things are not part of your environment. So you can't confirm that you have what you're supposed to have, and you can't confirm that you don't have what you're supposed to not have <laughs> when you don't have a hardcore asset inventory. And every compliance framework, you know, every framework you look at from a compliance per perspective, CMMC, NIST, uh, ISO, COBIT, um, CIS, like I don't care, you know, shake a stick at it. <laughs> it's It could be the FTC safeguards. I'm pretty sure my recollection is that even with FTC safeguards, it's talking about, you know, asset inventory because security 101 is you can't secure which you don't have an inventory of. And so, so this is another like core element of why the ship is sailed on BYOD that an organization could actually be completely invalidating their cyber insurance policy or their regulatory compliance levels by allowing this uh you know, willy-nilly sort of trying to be hip and cool, be in this hip and cool place to work in this permissive environment, you know, being all friendly to the workers. And it's like, you know, you got to make some serious decisions here and you can be a hip and cool place to work, but you still have to be um, cyber secure. And I, what I really think it comes down to is that most organizations seem to think that information security is a technical controls issue and it's not it's an hr management issue absolutely it's it's uh getting everyone on board that that the security of these devices is as important as as anything and and the thing of it is with um the inventory is with these mdm mobile device management platforms do a great job with that the ones I've looked at it, not only does it tell you the model of phone, um, it also has serial number and, and what has that operating system been updated, you know, have, have the iOS updates uh, been applied. So yeah, they're great for that. Well, they'll give you the software inventory on the phone as well. I mean, like there's the not, there is a hundred percent of the cyber insurance applications that I have had to participate in or, you know, worked with a client to assist them in preparing um, any, doesn't really matter what is 100% of them that I've seen, they uh, are all asking questions about like, is there anywhere in your environment where things that have this vulnerability exist, right? So we go back to, you can't positively confirm 
that no, we don't have that in anywhere in our environment. If you don't know what the inventory is of your environment and your environment, the boundary and the definition of your environment is anywhere on any system and in any way that your company resources are being accessed. Right? So, you know, first you got to actually define that and have an accurate definition of that, but then you have to do your, your inventory of it. And uh, you, you can't confirm that you don't have that evil thing in your environment if you don't have a software um, asset inventory of all of the assets. So first it's like, what are my assets? But then what's my software inventory on those assets? Uh, and I'd even go so far as to say, do you have a system that enables you to do vulnerability assessment on those devices as well? Because, I mean, my goodness, that's a question that I always seem to, to get asked. No question. So it not only does it inventory the apps, but also you can control what apps obviously can can be added to to the phone. And that's important as well. And and earlier we talked about offboarding, um, you know, employees and some of the issues there. But onboarding is equally as important because you've got to provide a, you know, a new a new piece of inventory. And there have been a lot of breaches lately where uh, some of the many of the new employees will post their, you know, an announcement on LinkedIn that they, they're, you know, congratulated on being a new employee. And, and some of the, um, the bad guys have been calling into the help desk, you know, and asking for help getting their new account set up. And so that's, that's a big issue with, and it relates yeah. to mobile devices as well as obviously all devices, but right. so some, there's been some discussion with some larger companies of, well, we're not going to activate anybody's account except with the physical shipment of some kind to a physical address, you know, and, and maybe there's a, you know, a hardware security key such as a USB, you know, security key that's being shipped separately. And, and so some type of, you know, safe boot up of a new employee where otherwise um, that becomes a real weak point in, you know, in IT security. Yeah, there's some companies that I've seen that have a policy that says that you can't have VPN access until you've been with the company for 30 days. And I mean, I wholeheartedly support that policy. Uh, I was also thinking about the adverse impact to the support costs in an organization when they don't have company owned mobile phones. So the um, I, my goodness, I've seen this happen so much because we get issues escalated to us. And I'll end up being on a like a three-way uh, Teams meeting with internal IT and then their work-from-home person that they're trying to support. And you know, oftentimes it's it's some person who's having some problem navigating the device and they just can't get through all of the complexity of it. Well, okay, this is a personal device. Do you think that there is then a remote control utility on that mobile phone? Uh, nope. So right. we have we have to engage in all kinds of silly gyrations to attempt to get the person to like, um, you know, turn on the webcam of the of their laptop and then hold their smartphone up to the laptop. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just crazy. The support costs go through the roof. And 
this is why I say information security is not a technical controls issue. It's an HR management issue. Whenever I'm encountering these organizations that want to be these, you know, hip and cool places to work and be all, you know, friendly, and we want to attract the the best and brightest talent by being the most permissive, loosey goosey environment. <laughs> you know, it's like you just made yourself uncompetitive and, and unprofitable because you just made your expense profile go through the roof. Absolutely. And, and hopefully the, the new employee comes in physically to the office so you can avoid a lot of those startup issues. And that's a great way for, you know, to get some initial training going, you know, get the devices, get some confirmation of some of the processes, because it is, you know, onboarding is, and offboarding are some of where you really open up some vulnerabilities. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Wow. Uh, let me comment about that just for a moment here. Like, um, and then I'm sure we'll run out of time here, but <laughs> I have had to look at so many organizations after like their, their core internal IT has departed the organization and the astronomical levels of revisions and improvements to their onboarding and offboarding processes just to get to a secure state. It is an astonishingly long and detailed process to develop that um, in excess of, I would say, easily six months worth of work. So um, so we're out of time. Thank you for joining me again. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show.